Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hi, beautiful pod squad family, legends, friends. Um, how are you guys? Yes, my voice probably sounds a little huskier. I'll be doing this a bit. <clears throat> in this little intro piece, um, because I have been, I have been spending hours upon hours in a recording studio, recording the audio book of last drinks. Oh, there it is. And I also host a breakfast radio show and I host this podcast. And I think after all of that talking, my voice has finally said, girlfriend, shut your mouth. (laughs) And so I, my, yeah, I need to rest my voice. Um, if anyone has any remedies on what I can do for a croaky throat, um, that's not related to having the flu or anything. It's nothing like that. It's purely from overuse. Uh, let me know. Hit me up on Instagram. Uh, speaking of Instagram, oh dear. Thank you. Thank you to everyone for just your really wonderful messages of support and encouragement. I've had heaps of feedback on the book. Um, I had a message from a beautiful lady, Sheridan, who sent me a picture of her book and she said, just arrived, starting at this very second. Your pod was so vital for me in the first month of my sobriety. I listened every morning on my walk and I took so many tips from it. You don't know, but we're best friends. Congratulations on the book. I'm jumping out of my skin to read it. So I'm starting now, thanks, Maz, you rock. And I wrote back, thanks, Bestie. Um, I just love that. I love that Sheridan, you know, has been listening to this podcast and feeling like I'm her sober buddy. And that's exactly what I'm calling the book. I'm not changing the title of it, but when I refer to it in, you might have heard me talking about it on TV or read an article on, you know, Nine Honey or Kindred Official There's been so much media support for my story and the book, but I've been calling it your sober buddy. It's the sober buddy you've been secretly hoping for because you, I think if you're sober curious, you can read this book and and hear my story. And I'm not going to BS you and tell you that it's a cinch because it's not, it's really hard. Changing habits is so hard and it takes time and practice. And that's why I, you know, I deliver a, a new episode of this podcast every day just to keep just to keep the stories and the tips and the advice and the conversation fresh you know and I just love that it is connecting with people for so many different reasons and on so many different levels so thank you I I feel completely embraced by this last drinks community and it's just this work that I do is It's so important when I get feedback and I hear that it has helped someone or helped someone change, 
it's so rewarding and it makes me feel so good because there was, there was a hot minute when I thought, oh, I don't want to share my story because I don't want to look back on my stuff and talk about the not great times and talk about the darkness, not the band, um, the moments in my life that weren't bright. But unless you're in the darkness, you don't get to see the light, right? And so I feel like, yeah, this is just super encouraging. So thanks. Uh, Thanks and thanks and thanks and thanks again. Today's podcast episode was recorded a little while ago. It's with a beautiful um, former journalist and TV presenter. Uh, She's also an author and she is just sunshine wrapped in skin. This woman is radiant. She is honest. She's grounded. And the first part of our conversation, we were actually trying to figure out if we knew each other or not, because we definitely knew of each other. Now, in this conversation, Jacinta Tynan talks about her meditation guru. There's a gentleman named Tim Brown. And with the utmost respect and how grateful she is for the meditative ways that he had taught her. And I'll let her get into how big a part of her story meditation is. But I wanted to record this now to let everybody know that the day we recorded this podcast episode was actually the day that Tim Brown passed away very unexpectedly and very suddenly. And I know it rocked Jacinta and it rocked the many, many people who Tim Brown showed uh, Vedic meditation to. He was a guru to so many people. Um, he taught, you know, the the headline the following day was the man who taught inner peace at Sid- to Sydney's A-list dies. And I just wanted to dedicate this episode to Tim Brown. I didn't know Tim, but Jacinta and Tim were very, very tight. And so I know that Jacinta is still processing this loss and processing this grief and reconciling this hurt and this pain that she's feeling because her very, very close friend sadly passed away on the day that we spoke so highly of him. And when she told me that he had passed away that day, it made me think that this conversation that we had has an extra special kiss of heaven on it. And I believe that that extra special spiritual kiss is from Tim Brown. So this episode of Last Drinks is dedicated to the life um, of the wonderful and um, highly respected and very, very loved meditation guru, Tim Brown. Enjoy Last Drinks with Jacinta Tynan. Jacinta, Jacinta, can you... Can you just tell, have we worked together? Do we know each other? <laughs> it's one of those things when you're as well known as you, Maz, where well, I'm not sure if I if I actually just feel like I know you or I know you, but no, I am pretty sure that we have met. And if it was the days of social media, we would have proof, but we yes, don't. It we don't have any photos ages. together because I felt the same when your name popped up. I was like, I know Jacinta. Like we've done a thing. She's a thing. I know 
remember her face from shows and television and Foxtel back in the day. So this is fun because I do feel like we have, I feel like we've circled around each other and I know that you've definitely done media stuff. Um, and a mutual friend of ours mentioned that you didn't drink alcohol and that's the whole premise of these conversations. So I start my conversations uh, with everybody on this podcast by asking them about their last drink and to just let me know how that went for them. So do you know when you had your last drink? I actually can pinpoint it, which is strange, but it's because that was the it was the next day that I decided that I was done. It was actually at the launch of the Sky News Business Channel, so you could probably date that back. And I went along to that. I, I never drank a lot anyway, uh, but I went along to that and had a glass of champagne to be part of it. It was sure. the right thing to do. We were at the Stock Exchange celebrating the launch of this new channel, and I, had, I think I had about half a glass, and the next day I was hungover, could barely move, because that's how alcohol used to affect me. And mm-hmm. so I thought I can't I can't do that anymore because then I waste an entire day. This is just half a glass of champagne, but it did not agree with me. I went along to a naturopath actually and said to her, uh, could you just check my bloods? And I wanted her to do tests to see if I was allergic to alcohol. I thought I must have had some um, issue there. And she said, have you ever thought about not drinking? And it had just never crossed my mind. It never even crossed my mind. So from that day forward, I went, oh, no, I haven't actually. Okay, I just won't drink. And I never have. It is such an interesting point because I, in 2014, when I was circumnavigating sober curiosity in the sense that I was drinking too much and too often, but I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to. Like all, all of those sorts of like, oh, my God, like, oh, my God, like can you not drink? Like is that even a thing? And it didn't occur to me that I could not drink. And that is, I think, a really honest picture of the industries. And it's not just media. I think people work in a, a range of industries, in corporate life, in, you know, different sort of jobs where not drinking is just not even a consideration and you I think by you know that recount of that story very much felt in the in the same boat like well we're at the launch and alcohol doesn't really agree with me but oh well I'll just have half half a glass anyway to be social or celebratory or whatever it is knowing how much of an effect it would have on you the next day yeah, you sort of, you, you had to be a part of it. Well, that's what I thought. And I'd been doing that for a very long time. I can trace this back to uh, birthday parties when I was 17, under age, 17, 18. Yeah. And I would get a drink because that's what you're supposed to do. And I used to tip it into pot plants when no one was looking because yeah, I wow. didn't like it. But I was too scared to say I didn't like it because that would be uncool. In a way, that was a similar version of that. But by then, I didn't care what, what people thought about that. And, and it just hadn't even because this was this would have been about fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. and you know back then people were not giving up alcohol like they are now. It wasn't the done thing, so it hadn't, as I said, crossed my mind that it was even a thing that you could just not do. And so when someone else suggested it to me, it seemed to make sense. It make it makes perfect sense. And so from that point where you just went, oh well, I just won't drink. Did you announce that to people? How did you kind of navigate that in in your work life and in your personal life? There was nothing to announce because it was never a big deal for me. 
I don't mm. even remember it being a defining moment. It's just when you asked me when it started, I can track it back. Mm. And nothing much really changed in my life except that when I went to social functions, I didn't have to pretend. That was all. I'd say, no, thanks, I'll just have a mineral water. And I noticed a, a change in attitude, actually. That's another conversation. But from people originally saying, what's wrong with you? Why, why aren't you drinking? Are you pregnant? What is it? Are you an alcoholic? And to now they nobody questions it really every now and then. And uh, so the what was the question you asked me exactly? Because I've gone off on a tangent. I love the tangent. And let's keep going down the tangent because you said that, um, you know, when you, so 15 odd years ago, the, re, the response was quite different to what it is now when you say that you're not drinking. Can you put that down to anything? Do you think it's just having these conversations and sobriety just being not so taboo? I think sobriety has gone from not being so taboo, as you say, to actually being quite cool. Everyone's mm. jumping on the bandwagon now. Mm. It's having these conversations uh, that's definitely brought it out into the light, but it's also health consciousness. We're much more health conscious and we've learned a lot more about alcohol, I think. I haven't delved too much into all of that, but I, I just know that there's been an absolute shift. You know, there are non-alcoholic drinks available mm-hmm. at every bar now and every restaurant and it's you don't get attitude for for choosing that. There's also the drink driving element. There's also the damage we've seen from people who are addicted mm-hmm. to alcohol and the damage that wreaks on their own lives and their families' lives. I think it's also so many things. I think it's also the attitude to getting seeking emotional support. Therapy is now much more acceptable. Seeing a psychologist is the done thing. And so then, as we know, often people drink alcohol. Not always, of course, but often there's a reliance on alcohol because of an underlying issue. Mm -hmm. So if we're going and doing that therapy and doing that work, as we call it, to resolve those underlying wounds and issues and traumas from our past, then we're not going to be relying on alcohol as a crutch as much. So I think all of those things has brought us have brought us to this point. Yeah, I love that. And it is so true. I I call alcohol the multi-tool of coping because I found that, you know, as a teenager, it was just inevitable that you would drink at a party and then that became the weekend thing. And then you get into corporate life as I did. And it was, you know, after work drinks or thirsty Thursday or whatever we would call it. And then you get into your twenties and some big life stuff happens and you're like, oh God, I don't like this. I don't like this feeling, so I'll just escape that feeling with my weekends, you know. And then and then at some point I think people get to a place where they just go, oh, man, this just isn't working for me anymore, but I've got no other tools in the toolkit. I don't, you know, and that's where um, talk therapy is amazing, going to see a natu- naturopath to actually assess where your body is up to with, you know, past trauma or big life events and how you can kind of navigate your health a little bit better I do think that we are normalizing those things which is really cool I want to ask you um you said when you went to that event and you had your last half a glass of champagne that you got a drink because it was the done thing when you stopped drinking did you feel awkward socially because you didn't have something in your hands because that's actually something that I really struggled with in the early days of my sobriety is I didn't actually know what to do with my hands because I was so used to having 
sometimes two drinks, let's be fair, double parked, you know. Um, did you find that? Was that a thing that you can kind of talk about? I'm thinking as you're talking about that, the thing to do with your hands, I think that I I don't recall that, that ever being an issue for me, but mm. I always had a drink in my hand because that's also just what we do. I'd turn up to a party and someone would say, what would you like to drink? And I'd say mineral water and I would cop the inevitable ribbing for having mineral water, but I would have mm. the, min- the mineral water in my hand. So there is that. I think that yes, you can sure. get around it that way. Um, I do remember at certain times early on, certainly not now, I might try to make it look like an alcoholic drink just so I didn't have to cop the attitude, put it, put the put the mineral water into a champagne glass and then no one will question you. I also got, had two babies not long after that, so then you've got that excuse, the pregnancy and then the breastfeeding, and so it kind of bought me a bit more time. Not that I cared what anybody thought, but it, it, it then um, mitigated me from all of the uh, the attitude is, that we're, we're talking about. And uh, so I don't recall any social awkwardness because I didn't really care. I, it's not even like people say to me often when, I, when they find out I don't drink, they congratulate me and say, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I don't deserve yes, that because it's I no get the deal. same thing and I'm like, oh, thanks, but, like, I didn't do it for you. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I did this for me and like it's it's actually quite look it's doable I won't say it's easy I think it's a lot of people really struggle I think a lot of people don't get sober because they are so consumed by what other people are going to say and and you've touched on it you know like you do get people just giving you a hard time and it it's I found that some of the responses from some of my peers was just really brutal and and not helpful and not encouraging and I think you do need to be prepared for that and and just know that people will be dickheads um not all of them but some of them and that's on them it still doesn't it shouldn't stop people from you know um doing something for their own health and well-being and and bettering themselves not to say that you're better than someone else I mean you're better for yourself when I think when you when you stop drinking so I I kind of love your story Jacinta because it is quite different in that it feels like it was just no big deal for you and I think that um that's really nice to hear because some people really have a tough time with sobriety and getting to a place where they do stop and it sounds like for you you just made that conscious choice and you know screw what everyone else thinks I'm gonna do this thing because it's the best thing for me and I think that that will be really encouraging for some people who are dancing on that line of like it's not a big deal but maybe I should just cut it out of my life you know yeah I wish someone had suggested it to me earlier because it did take that outside suggestion for me to even contemplate it it's I think in in our society it's just such a given that you will get to 18 probably before let's face probably. it usually and start before. drinking and it's never it's never a consideration that you won't do that nobody mm. ever says to you as a teenager well maybe you won't be a drinker so I'd never I feel like I hadn't been mm. given that option and when it was suggested to me then I took it and ran with it but it also happened to coincide with I learned to meditate around that time and I don't know if there's a direct correlation because my meditation teacher drinks alcohol and Nobody says you can't, but mm. I think from 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 my body that there was 
I don't think it was a coincidence because I started meditating twice a day, 20 minutes twice a day, which I still do. So I've been doing that for 14 years. And, wow. you know, they say that you you drink to get unconscious and you meditate to get conscious. Mm. And so when you meditate, it's it's inevitable uh, if you're doing it with proper instruction that you will become more conscious, more self-aware. And yeah. so that's definitely happened for me. And then therefore the fact that I don't want to go and put a substance in my body that's going to make me unconscious and take me away from that, mm. I, I think there's a, a relationship there. Why did you start meditating? Did you start meditating 14 years ago or you but talk to me through that process and where you why you landed on meditation? I learned to meditate when I was pregnant with my oldest son, my oldest child, who is now 13. So that's how I can do the maths. You know how sometimes oh, yeah, you forget, wow. when did I learn to meditate? Oh, you oh, have always. a teenager. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we probably need to drink, right? Oh. Uh, when well, I... My son's four and I just, <laughs> I can't yeah. even imagine him getting bigger and older and stronger. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I remember where you I were. Oh, please just treasure those moments. I do. I still get mummy cuddles and I you still... Don't. Oh, he calls me Mavi and I just, oh, he bless. just, he folds into my body when we hug. Like it, I'm still, I'm relishing, I'm sucking every second out of this season of life. But um, the thought of him knowing that he will be a teenager one day freaks me the hell out. But sorry, back to your story. <laughs> so you, when exactly you were pregnant you with your son, you started meditating. And that's relevant because the, exactly what you're saying is relevant because I, when my babies were born, I was already crying in the hospital about the fact that they would one day grow up and leave. I was already conscious of that. Oh my God. So I learned to meditate when I was pregnant because I was worried that I wouldn't be a good mother. Really? You know, I'd, had, I'd had depression before. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed in my uh, early 30s, but I, I, I know that I had it before that, undiagnosed. Yeah. And, and so I was very worried about getting PND, postnatal depression. I didn't think that I would be a good mother uh, because of my own self-esteem. How can I possibly look after someone else when I can barely look after myself? Can I, can, I can't love myself. How can I love someone else? All of that was going on, my, my dialogue. And so I'd heard about Vedic meditation, which is what I ended up doing. And I went to see the teacher and to find out if this could benefit me. And after one meeting with him, with Tim Brown is his name, I I was like, is this going to help me? Is this going to help me be more present as a mother? <laughs> and he just told me a few of the benefits of meditation that I was in. I was signed up. So that was when I was pregnant. So my baby got all those hormones mm-hmm. as well as I was learning, but wow. all the feel-good hormones that come from meditation. And then I've kept that up. And in the 14 years, twice a day for 20 minutes, I haven't missed a day. Wow. Not one day. And I don't say that. Again, it's not, it's like the alcohol. That's not, I don't deserve a medal for that. I say that because I know how beneficial it is. And Well, look, it obviously works, right? So something that happens often is that we start doing new things because we want to benefit ourselves or become better versions of ourselves or dig deep or whatever it is and we do it for a couple of weeks and then we drop off because it's not because then you've got to do the work and then you've got to show up and then you have to be conscious of it and you know it's change management is really hard 
But it, if something is working for you, it's not hard because you know it's working for you. And so that is such a great testimonial on meditation for you because you have done it every day. And I'm sure some of those days you may have gotten to the mat or the chair or the cushion. I'm not sure where you meditate. Where do you meditate? Wherever I can. Wherever you can. And <laughs> you might have gotten there years. and gone, God, I don't want to do this today. But you've done it. And that's incredible. And sobriety is similar. I'm sure some people wake up in sobriety some days and go, oh, I don't want to do sobriety today because it's hard or because my kid's getting older or my marriage is tough today or whatever it is or my eyebrows are uneven, whatever. Like the, we come up with so many excuses to get out of the stuff that makes us feel good um, because it's a little bit harder than, you know, the access all areas, easy, quick fix of a bit of a drink and a lie down, you know. I think that that's a really remarkable practice to stay committed to. And, yeah, I, I kind of want to say congratulations. I've got questions around meditation because I've spoken to a few people on the podcast, Jacinta, who uh, meditation and sobriety have really gone hand in hand for them. I do agree with you that they, I think that they are linked somehow. Um, and I, you know what, I'm one of those, like, I'll, I'll meditate for a little bit and then I just, like, get a bit bored. In, in my meditation, I haven't experienced colors or anything. What I just sometimes just am doing it just to tick the box of meditation, but I don't know. I don't know if it's my thing and maybe it's not an every person thing, or maybe I'm doing it the wrong way. I'm not sure, but it obviously works for you. I've never seen colors either. I wish. My husband did a meditation once and he he was like, I just saw like orange and just he had this really like really. Sure, he wasn't drinking alcohol. <laughs> well, no, like he's sober as well, and he, uh, it was wild. He was explaining it, and I was like, this is. I'm like, my meditations feel really boring compared to that. <laughs> but obviously, you know, I, look, may, maybe it is something that in a down the track I will get better at. I'm not sure. It's always just been a bit of a. Oh, okay. Like that, the way I feel about meditation is probably how someone who drinks a bit feels about sobriety. Like, oh, well, good for you, doll. Like that works for you. Well done. But like, don't come at me with all of your benefits and whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm so, I'm so curious about it and I, I'm so interested in it. And I have, I have tapped into a bit of meditation here and there. I've done a 21 day challenge and, but I just haven't really kept it up. So I just, I really do think it's incredible that two, 20 minutes twice a day is your recipe. Well, it's called, it's Vedic meditation. It's a particular technique. And like I've said to you before, I don't want, I don't feel comfortable with being, yeah. being congratulated or receiving accolades for it because it's, I, I, I meditate despite resistance some days, as you say, mm. because I know that if I don't, that it will all fall apart. I know wow. that it's, it's holding me together Yeah. because I know where I was before I meditated and I've been through some pretty tough stuff Yeah. in the last, uh, well, since I learned to meditate because actually, actually that also happens often is that mm. the they call it the irrelevancies, but things in your life that are not aligned will fall away. And so that's been really tough. I've really, really suffered a lot in the last few years and I know that if I didn't meditate that I would not be coping. And so there's the link to to drinking for people as well, that it's it's that 
maybe people drink because they think it's often I mean obviously it's just fun and I've got no issue with that for anybody I've got no issue with any anything anyone else does actually that's not my business but a lot of people drink for social reasons but if you are drinking as a crutch Mm. then you're worried about what's going to happen if you don't and so for meditation it was the opposite for me that I meditate because I I know that if I don't that I I don't think I would be coping. I wonder if and this is you know this is just for anyone who's ears have pricked up listening to this meditation sobriety link. I wonder if, because I do know for me, when I stopped drinking, it it was hard. Like the first day was easy, but I was hungover. So whatever, I just got through the first day without a drink. But then it, w- it was really difficult. And I wonder if a way, a gateway to sobriety could be to start to meditate first and maybe employing a meditation practice in your life will actually as you say, like get you to this sort of place where then the drinking thing won't be working for you. Do you know what I mean? Like actually focusing your attention on learning a new skill, being grounded in yourself and exploring your conscious self. Maybe if you go down that road as a a way to get to sobriety, that could be a path for someone. Yeah, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't say that. But it perfect, I can't say that from a professional perspective, but I, from my understanding, drinking to to cover up other wounds mm-hmm. is not, it's just a Band-Aid and it just yeah. creates more problems. So if you're drinking for those reasons, which you may not even be aware you're drinking for those reasons, but if you are, then find a way to heal that those underlying issues. And meditation is just one of the ways to heal those that to heal old wounds and to heal old trauma and to bring you into the present Mm. and so it'd be one of the tools I would say but it's there's there's others as well you know Jacinta usually on the podcast I say to people like if you hadn't have stopped drinking do you think that you'd be where you are today but I feel like um because your relationship with alcohol was I won't say no big deal but you were very aware that it didn't work well for you and then you were able to really get rid of it quite, um, it sounds like it was just a really simple decision and then away you went. And so I won't ask you that because I do feel like you would land where you are because of that being part of your story. So can you just explain to people what it is that you do now? Because I find what you do very, very interesting. Uh, yes, I will. But before I do that, I'm going to just say that I I did drink a lot in my late teens and twenties, and so okay. I I know what that's like. I, I have experienced that, and that's I, I look back now and I realize that was binge drinking. You know, we would at university we would just drink until we fell over. Mm-hmm. I, we we had a ball at my university, which was called the Cinderella Ball because it started at midnight. So you had to pace yourself leading up to midnight. Oh, wow. My friends had to take me home at about five minutes past 12 because I was so drunk and, you know, it's throwing up and we all did all that. And it was a funny story and whatever, and it's all part of growing up. But mm. I know what that's, I have been there and that's all fun and games and it's all fine. But I, uh, I realized that you're wasting several days in a row when you do that. To your well, question. Yeah. It's about, fine until it's not fine. That's what I say that's about right. that behaviour. It's fine thing. and fun until it's not fine and fun. But, yes, to my question. To your question. What am I doing now? Mm. So many things, but 
the greatest thing I'm doing now in terms of my career is I, yeah, I don't think I would have got there without this actually, because okay. I've, I've started the spiritual book club and it's a subscription based book club where I interview spiritual authors and we talk about spiritual books and I have been on that path of spirituality, no doubt through my meditation. So those things go hand in hand. Yeah. And I know that there's a, there's lots of book clubs around now. You know, Reese Witherspoon has a book club. Everyone's got a book club. and Everyone's some... got a, like everyone has a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but there are podcasts and podcasts and book clubs and book clubs. True. But I couldn't find anything for spiritual books, the types of books that I like to read. And, and so that's why I've started this. And, and I, I want to open up that, that world of spirituality to, to more people and have those conversations. So it definitely came, was informed by those decisions I made about 14 years ago. That's where it all started. With your spirituality, I, so I love having this conversation with people. So I grew up in a Christian religious household and, um, you know, I was told that the Bible is right and it's very black and white, the Bible. And then uh, and then I kind of realised, hang on a second, this doesn't feel true to me. As, as in, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to cast judgment on people for their choices and in life can't be so black and white. And so many, I had so many questions about what was taught when I was growing up. And I have been on, I guess, a journey of deconstructing my faith in my adult life in order to land on what I would now say is I have a spiritual walk and a spiritual life, but I'm not religious. And so my, I guess, go to everything on everything is to love and just love. And I think growing up in a religious home, it was like, well, you can love, but you can absolutely judge and like that person's wrong and then they're going to burn in hell. And that's not really helpful for anyone, um, I find. So when you say spirituality, is there a way you can define that? Um, and is it grounded in a faith system, a higher power? Like talk to me through, yeah, talk me through what spirituality is for you. I was raised in a religious household to some degree as well. I was raised Catholic and and that's quite ritualistic, you know, mass every single Sunday and mm -hmm. we made all the sacraments and so on. And I ran from that. And so for a long time I equated that with something that I didn't want to know about. And then spirituality I saw as a separate thing. It's about that understanding that on a very practical level it's that our thoughts create our reality. On a mm. deeper level, it's my, this is just my understanding that, that we are all one and that we're all part of something bigger and that we are part of nature and uh, the, that, that, we're, that we're all destructing and creating and, and, and doing that cycle of nature and um, that there is a higher power and all of those things um, and that we have an inner knowing and that we are a soul and I could go on forever. It means all of those things. And it was only mm. in more recent years that I realised, oh, that is actually the basis of most religions that yeah. had all the other stuff laid on top. And right. so that's why we run because it's not aligned. It's not aligned for us. Mm. But actually when you, my children are being educated in the Catholic system now. So I'm back in that, in that system, let's call it, after being away for so long. And I, I now listen to the readings 
from the Bible and I, I can say, oh, actually that's the same message we're getting from Deepak Chopra or <laughs> Gabby Bernstein yeah. or it's all these more these contemporary spiritual teachers, it's the same thing. It's a message that's thousands of years old. So I can actually see the correlation now. So I'm not running from that religion so much, but I don't think that I think you can be spiritual very, I don't think, I know you can be spiritual without religion part of it. Yeah. I love that. And what you said too, that your thoughts create your reality. Is that how you phrase it? I love that. Um, and you know why I love that? Uh, because it me it means that when you if you said to me I can't do that, I'm like okay, you're right because yes. you think that you can't, which means that you won't. But if you think that you can, then it means that it's absolutely on the table. And so with sobriety, then someone says to me, "Oh my god, I wish I could go for a weekend without drinking, but there's no way in hell I could ever go to Carly's birthday without having three gins." I'm like okay, you're telling the story, girlfriend, you know, and it's this real sense of um, almost ownership over, okay, if we really want to go there, like your life choices, it's the sum total of those thoughts. And then because your thoughts inform your feelings, your feelings inform your behaviour, that's the stuff that you do, that's what lands us where wherever we are. So if you are sitting in a situation in your life is a pile of shit it's not because every single choice that you've made has ensured that that is where you're at because things outside of us happen but your response mechanisms um may be a little bit augmented from the best way forward and so if you think about that like yeah the way that you think is really going to inform how you feel and how you feel will inform how you behave and your behavior is your choices. And here we are. And if that's a life that you don't love and that you want to escape, then, okay, that that's a bit of a hard knock. That's a bit of a reality check and it sucks a bit, but you can actually change it all around by just having a new thought. And I actually spoke to a neuroscientist on this podcast, Jacinta, and she basically said what we're talking about but it's grounded in science, yeah. which made me so excited. I was like, oh, my God, because I, I was like, are you kind of saying that manifesting? And she's like, look, it, it's hard to say that, like, manifesting is scientifically proven. But she was talking from a science neuroscientific background that the neurons in our brains um, neurons that fire together, wire together. The more times you have a thought, the stronger those neural pathways are. That informs your feelings, informs your behavior, creates your reality. So, yeah, it all does start with our thinking. And then, again, with the use it or lose it principle, the less you have those thoughts, the less th- those um, thoughts will inform your feelings and your behaviors and so on and so forth. So if you're sitting in um, a situation in life where you're like, oh my God, I just need a drink. I can't get through a day without a drink. Or I just, the only way I can survive this weekend with my insane children is to just have a wine at four o'clock and that's going to make everything okay. Then you are a hundred percent correct because that's what is, that's your narrative. But then you can flip it all on its head and go, I can get through this weekend without a drink. I can show up for my family without being hungover. And then that becomes... So I just love that you said that because and with 14 years of meditation under your belt, 
I feel like you have some level of authority, <laughs> you know, to, to speak from that place of your truth. And I just love that I've heard that from somebody in the science world and they really, those messages really do align. Yeah, there's so much science around that now. Neuroplasticity, they used to think that the brain was formed in childhood and apart from learning new things, that was it. But now they know it's proven that if you change your thoughts, that your beliefs and then your actions and then your life will change. However, having said that, I'm one of those uh, do as I do as I say, not not as I do, because I'm learning like everybody else. Yeah. And I forget this stuff. I have post-it notes all over the house to remind me I have them just by the bed so that when I wake up, I remember yeah. what thoughts I'm going to have today because we default to the negative. We're actually wired to default to the negative, mm-hmm. sadly. I found that out. I did a diploma in positive mental health coaching uh, to, to, because I'm also a coach, and I found that out when I was studying that, that we're wired to the negative. And it made a lot of sense, but it's also um, frightening. So that means we have to actively work. Yeah. At overriding those negative inclinations and the stories we tell ourselves and being braced for fear and being braced for the worst, we have to consciously override that. So I'm always working at that. And I wanted to add to that that I find a lot of freedom in the idea that we can create our reality as mm. we're as we're talking about now. Uh, it obviously gives you a lot of freedom. Uh, But I also like the sense of responsibility it gives you. But it means Mm. that if you're going to take responsibility for your life, you also, part of that, if you're going to choose that path, is to take responsibility for what's happened. And that can be harder because we want to blame others. We want to blame our circumstances. We want to blame our past. We want to blame all the people who've wronged us. And it doesn't mean those things haven't happened. But I find that I can't grow and move on until I can see my role in that. It's a really more complex thing to describe because, of course, when anybody hears that, and I do this myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's big stuff because, you know, if we're talking about um, something unfair or something unjust that has happened to us, um, it's not that thinking your way differently would have avoided that because you can't control other people, but you can control your response. And I found when I was drinking alcohol, I didn't respond well to things. I reacted badly because I was in defence mode constantly not feeling my best, not grounded in any, you know, sort of good thing. And so my, so I would react badly. And what I found in sobriety is I have more patience. I've learned to take a breath and count to 10. And then I respond well. And when we can start responding well to the stuff that happens to us that isn't fair, that will just keep coming at us in sobriety or not. I, I say to mums a lot, I, I talk to lots of mums who are really stuck in that like mummy wine culture and they're like, well, I drink because my kids are insane. I'm like, sobriety doesn't make your kids less insane. Trust me. I have not had a drink in my four-year-old is bonkers. But sobriety gives you a clear head and a bigger capacity to hold space for that insane mini version of you. 
um, who has probably been put on this planet to help guide and teach as much as we are given the roles of motherhood to, you know, to guide and teach. Sometimes I really do think my son has taught me they don't come with instructions and neither do we as parents, right? And I just feel like he teaches me so much about myself all, all the time and I'm like, I wasn't prepared for that in motherhood, you know? So I think, yeah, it's a hard one to really look back, especially if you've got some big grief or some, you know, just some tough life stuff, some bad stuff that happened and it sucks and I'm sorry. But if we can get to a place where we can respond well and try and find the little bit of light in it, you know, I don't want to, you know, all things work together for good, I feel like is printed on so many T-shirts in Etsy shops these days. But I do like to try and find the good in everything. And, and in and there's some, you know, not awesome stuff that's happened in my last 18 months on this planet. But I'm trying to find that little bit of glitter of hope, that little bit of gold dust in there somewhere, you know, and maybe it's a seed for the future, but at least planting the seed and watering it. Um, yeah, it's, I just, yeah, it's such a, it's a, it's a really, um, it's a really big part of the puzzle that people don't like talking about because it's really hard. Like it's hard to think that unfair stuff happens and there's no, it's not all for nothing if you can find a little bit of, you know, a little bit of hope. But also unfair stuff happens and it probably will continue to happen, sober or not. So my advice is to get sober so you can respond well. Yeah, and I just think that if I I know that if I complicated things with alcohol, if I added alcohol into the mix, pardon the pun, not only would I have that unconsciousness while you're drinking, but the hangover. And mm. then I, I that's what, when I've said to you before, I, I don't need any accolades for not drinking because I just couldn't imagine adding that into mm. the complication. I'm, I'm trying to stay yeah. present and create a better life for myself and my children and make tough decisions mm. and, and grow and evolve and step up so that I can have a better life. And I couldn't do that if I had alcohol in the mix. So I actually don't understand it when I see people drinking, when they're going through tough times. I think you're just making it harder for yourself. I know. and I, But I think if you don't know any different, and that's why these conversations are so important, because some people don't know any different until they hear this conversation and they're like, oh, hang on a second. I have a choice here. I actually have a choice. And I think just that awareness alone is so Oh, freeing slash overwhelming for people because then you have to do the whole, oh, God, I've been making this choice and this choice hasn't been my best choice. Um, but just being, you know, just hearing it said out loud that there you do have a choice. It is okay. You can reconcile it. Um, and just knowing that there are other people that have been through tough stuff too I think is a really good equaliser for it because we're all human. We all have our stuff. We all have our moments. But if you can come to those moments with a clear head and a and an open heart, I think you've got a better shot at, pardon the pun, <laughs> better shot at um, 
at at getting you know getting to a place of peace daily inner peace is like I think most people's quest really I don't know how you feel about that but it's certainly something that I'm trying to get more of in my life well it's like that that very point of somebody suggesting to me not to drink and then you think of it you saying that I've just gone yeah I like that I'll take that thanks daily mm. in a piece that'll be another one of the post-it notes that goes up on the wall daily in I love that something I just said is going to make it on your wall of post-it notes <laughs> this is why we have these conversations because we all learn from each other oh my god yeah. Yeah, I love that that's so awesome. Well, thank you. I've taken up enough of your time today. Thank you so much. Where can people find your spiritual book club? Thespiritualbookclub.com. Amazing. Yeah. I will be subscribing. I'm so excited for that. And it's really lovely to to talk to you, Jacinta. I I just I know that we have circled around each other. And it's just really beautiful to have such a wonderfully honest, reflective conversation with you today. So thank you for your time. I've enjoyed it too, Maz, so much. And it's made me reflect on a lot of things that I don't really think about because we don't think about these things unless we're asked. So thank you for the great questions. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.